The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. And there are shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone upon them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and living in a manger. Suddenly, a company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth and peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at, the sh- at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured upon all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were, which were just as they had been told. Excellent. Ed, can I have this aircon turned off, please, so that it doesn't blow the pages around? Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. How many sleeps to go before Christmas? No, nobody knows. All the kids know. I can, I can guarantee that. Well, we're in our third week in our um, Good News, Great Joy series. We've been following the Advent series, and that brings us to this week, which the focus and the theme um, is the shepherd's candle or the candle of joy. And it's based on our reading, Luke chapter 2, the announcement uh, the angels made to the shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Um, And so that's why it represents the shepherd's candle, the the candle of joy. And so we're going to be engaging with this idea of joy this morning. And so as a starting point, I guess we need to consider and think about what is joy? What is joy? Well, the dictionary defines it this way. It says, a feeling of great delight, pleasure, or happiness. That sounds pretty good. A feeling of great delight, pleasure, or happiness. But when we come to the Bible, we see a very different idea. Uh, Some of it is the same, but there's important differences. And we see different themes. It's a state of being. It's almost this, this disposition or an attitude that the Bible talks about. It talks about it as a result of choice rather than something that's based on our emotions and feelings. One Bible dictionary defines it this way, a quality and not simply an emotion, so our emotions are involved, but not simply an emotion, grounded upon God Himself and indeed derived from Him, which is quite interesting. 
So I kind of did a bit of reading and I looked at some of the scriptures in these dictionaries and I came up with this kind of statement, which might not be you know, extensive and all-encompassing, but a statement that defines joy from a biblical point of view. And it's this, an attitude, it seems like an attitude or a disposition of pleasure and well-being received from God that transcends our present circumstances and emotional state and is anchored in God's character and work in the world. I think I know it's a long definition, but I think those are important things to keep in mind because this idea of biblical joy is quite robust. It's quite big. And when we kind of sit with this definition, we, we can see certainly how this plays out in Scripture. Uh, and we see that's why many of the biblical writers, Old and New Testament, can talk about joy as being something that transcends our circumstances. So Habakkuk is the, probably the famous one in the Old Testament, you know. Though the fig tree does not blossom or bud, and there are no grapes in the vine, though the olive tree, uh, they fail, the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the, uh, the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. That's why. Because it's got really nothing to do or little to do with circumstances. And then in the New Testament, Philippians 4.4, Paul writing often in the epistles, we come to writing from jail in, in very, very difficult circumstances, says things like this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice you see that it's in the Lord. It's, it's, it's a disposition. It's an attitude. It's a choice. And often in the Old Testament, particularly, joy is associated with giving thanks to God for His goodness, for His benevolence. So joy is a prominent feature in all the festivals in the Old Testament. Um, the celebrations, jubilee, all of that has joy, joy, joy everywhere. Harvest festivals were all about giving joy to God. And so when we come to um, the Bible, we see that joy is often linked to something to do with God, His character or His faithfulness. And as you read through the Bible and you come to joy statements, you'll find a for or a because often associated with the word joy. And Psalm 16 is one example of that. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices my body also will rest secure why because you will not let me uh, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay you make known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand the other uh, feature you'll, you'll find in the Bible um, when it comes to joy is this idea that joy is often associated with the coming of the messianic kingdom and particularly in Isaiah, there are numerous references to joy in association with what the Messiah was going to do. And this ushering in of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. As the people look forward to a day when God was going to come and make everything right under the Messiah rule of King Jesus. Although the Old Testament and Isaiah didn't know that it was going to be King Jesus. And so one example is Isaiah 61, 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. And this is part of uh, the passage Isaiah 61 that Jesus read in Luke chapter 4. The, 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 it goes on to say this in verses 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God. And here it is again. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. They're all messianic kingdom imagery. So joy is often associated with, with those ideas in the Bible. Now if we've been part of church, if we've grown up in church, you would know that joy is an important part of the Christian faith. 
you probably, like me, grew up singing songs like, Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of Maha, from the castle of Maha, from the castle of... Why? Because the king is in residence there. Or J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hearing it, right? Yeah. Or... Um, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, 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 rejoice. All right? We could do that all day. Or ha, 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 Who remembers that one? Ha, 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 For the joy of the Lord is much. Yeah, all right? It's, it's important. So then the next question becomes, well, where do we find, how do we find this joy of the Lord? In, in one sense, we can't. We, we don't. Because if our definition holds true, then joy is something that's received. It's, it's something that God gives us. It's an act of God's grace. Which, which is why joy is listed in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. Joy. So in one sense, it's something that we receive from the benevolence and the grace and the goodness of God and the work of God in our heart. There's nothing we can do. But in another sense, there is things that we can do because it is a choice. It's an attitude. It's a disposition. And so I want to suggest to you there are things that you and I can do to cultivate an attitude of joy, to cultivate a place where joy will take root, the seed of joy will take root and produce a bountiful harvest of joy in our lives. And so I've entitled my message, Cultivating Joy. And we want to look at the shepherd's story and identify some of the things that are going on for them that will help us cultivate joy in our hearts. That's where we're going this morning. Let me just pray and we'll jump into God's Word. Father, we thank you for this incredible good news of great joy. And we pray that as we engage with your your Word and we we dig into the Scriptures here, that you will cultivate this attitude in our hearts of joy. Lord, we know we need your grace and your Spirit. As you plant these seeds, may they take root in good soil and produce a bountiful harvest leading to joy in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we see here a few things that these shepherds experience that will help us cultivate an attitude of joy. The first thing I want to suggest to you is that we need to remember that the night won't last forever. The night won't last forever. Um, And maybe that for you, that's a word in season. And I really sense that in the spirit to say to some of you, hold on because the night won't last forever. When this incident happened, the people were under oppression by Roman rule. We've talked about that before. It was a sad time. It was a, a time of despair and hopelessness. And we get a sense of that as we read Mary's song and we certainly read Zechariah's song in the section immediately before where there was this longing for all the promises of Messianic kingdom, of all the things that God was going to do to deliver and set His people free. And they'd been waiting for hundreds of years And nothing had happened. 400 years of silence where God just seems to not be present. And I'm sure, like for you, like for me, like for all of us, for these shepherds, it would have felt like this night is never going to end. This night is going to go on forever and ever and ever. And their hopes were were crumbling. But I want to suggest to you from this passage that 
the good news of great joy is that the night doesn't last forever, that God did and will again intervene and shine His His glory and His light into the darkness. And we can be assured and confident that God will do it again because He's already done it. He's done it once. He's interrupted this night that these shepherds were out in the middle of the field doing their daily routine, wandering, longing, hoping, waiting for something to change, for God to move, for God to do something, to fulfill His promises and His word. And they're waiting and they're waiting and they're longing. And then on one particular night, it happens. It happens. God steps into their night. God steps into their world, into their despair. And everything is different. And I want to suggest to you that to cultivate an attitude of joy is to remember that our night will not last forever either. That God will again step back into history, not as a baby in a manger, but as the rider on a horse who's coming triumphant, King of kings and Lord of lords, to make everything right. And the night that we still live in, even though the light of God, the light of the world has shone into our darkness, there is still darkness that we live in. But one day, God will interrupt human history again, and the night will be no more. And as we go to the end of the Bible in Revelation, we read these things that are so encouraging. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. It is done. And Revelation, the other passage in 22 says this, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God himself will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Friend, your night won't last forever. Whatever it is that you're longing and you're hoping and you're waiting for, God will intervene. Whether it's here and now in your lifetime or not, God will intervene. He will step into human history. And you have that assurance and you have that hope. And to the extent that you meditate and you reflect and you remember that truth that your night won't last forever because God is faithful. And He's already said, it is done. Joy will begin to be cultivated in your heart in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your hopelessness, in the midst of your challenge, your frustration, your pain, your illness, your broken relationships, your night won't last forever. The second thing I want to share with you from the shepherd's experience is to recognize God's word, uh, God's work. Recognize God's work. And again, you think about this story. The angels turn up and they make this big announcement that the Savior has been born. I don't know if you were there, what you would be expecting, given everything you've been hoping for, given all the Old Testament prophecies for a Messiah to come. You know, if you read Zechariah's song, it says this, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come to His people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He has said through His holy prophets long ago, salvation 
protection from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and etc 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 and then it's a baby it's a baby like i don't know if we, if the shepherds were going oh, that's quite not what we were expecting but it's a baby but see more than them we know about this baby see i, I don't know you know how they kind of reconciled all of the promises with this baby and we know from the gospel accounts that many people were confused about what Jesus was supposed to be doing they had all these different expectations that were unmet and many people were disappointed many people were confused but we know we know about this baby and that's why Christmas for us is not about celebrating a baby in a manger it is celebrating the savior of the world and to the extent that we meditate on that and we recognize God's work in this baby, joy will come because more than the shepherds, we know what his mission was. We know that it's not just about rescuing people from a, a political power, but one day to do that, but right here, right now, to overcome, destroy the ultimate power that holds all of humans captive. Sin and bondage and slavery to death and to Satan. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And to the extent we remember that and our hearts are encouraged by that as we reflect on this baby. And that's why Advent is so significant because that's what it's meant to do, to prepare your heart, to eagerly long for Christmas, to meditate and reflect and, and eagerly anticipate and long for the coming, as it were, of the Savior of the world. Because you know, you know more than they did what He accomplished. You know about the cross. You know about the resurrection. They were yet to discover all that. And yet their hearts were filled with joy at this great news, even though their minds would have been full of confusion. But to recognize God's work in Jesus. The other aspect of recognizing God's work is to recognize God's work in the ordinary. In the ordinary. Now, it's pretty spectacular, right? God turns up, there's an angelic visitation, and then he ups the ante. There's a choir of angels now. It's pretty awesome. And I'm, I'm sure the angels were probably, you know, like the shepherds were probably thinking, man, well, let's go to this manger. What's the next thing that God's going to do? It's going to be even more amazing, more spectacular. If this was just the announcement, then the reality has got to be something special. And they rock up there, and what do they find? An ordinary couple and a baby in a manger. But yet, even in the ordinary, there's extraordinary things going on. See, that baby was going to become something much more profound than those shepherds could have wrapped their head around at that moment. See, sometimes we, we, we long for God to move in the spectacular. We, we want the choir of angels, to be honest. Uh, we, we, we can recognize God's work in the spectacular, absolutely. And we should believe and pray for that because God can and He does do that. He does do spectacular things. He does do miracles. He does do supernatural things. We're thanking for God's prayer answered for healing from cancer. God does that. But if we're only looking for those things, we miss a whole lot of God's work that can give our hearts great joy. In the day-to-day, -day, in the ordinariness of our lives, where we stop and we recognize the fingerprints of God and the footprints of God all over our life, that sometimes we might not appreciate till we kind of get further down the road and we see the wonder of this baby that lives to be something much more profound than we ever thought when it was born. See, God doesn't just work with trees. He works with seed too. 
You know, and sometimes we need to recognize, wow, God, you're doing this thing. It looks very ordinary right now. It looks kind of nothing spectacular, nothing dramatic, but I recognize your work in my life even in the ordinary. Even in the ordinary. And so for these shepherds, you know, they, they, they go back to their job. In some ways, nothing had changed. In some ways, everything had changed for them. Because they'd experienced not just the spectacular, but this ordinary baby, a human baby, just like every other baby, but somehow not like any other baby. And I believe that to the extent that our hearts and our minds are trained to see God at work in the ordinary ways of our life, it will encourage us and give us great joy and delight because we recognize that our Father is with us. Emmanuel, that's the whole point. The third thing you know, about this idea is that God is at work in and through us, and we need to recognize that. That God is at work in our hearts, and He wants to work through us. See, the, the shepherds, they got angels, but everybody else got the shepherds. Think about that. Right? The shepherds got an angelic announcement, but everybody else who heard about Jesus heard about it through the shepherds. Very ordinary. And sometimes we miss how God is working in us and through us in extraordinary ways because it seems very ordinary to us. And yet the shepherds, they go back praising God and thanking God for everything that they've seen. They, they recognize that God is doing something in their heart even though they fully don't understand it. And I, I want to suggest to you again, to the extent that you train your heart and your, 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 your mind to recognize what God is doing in your life in the ordinary, everyday ways, and then appreciate that and thank Him for that and express gratitude to God for that. As they did, they went back praising God and declaring His greatness. To that extent, your heart will begin to fill with joy. And to the extent that you begin to say, God, I'm nothing special. I'm just like these shepherds, but I have seen stuff and I've heard stuff like they did. I've experienced stuff. I don't understand it all. I don't have all the answers, but God, I've seen and I've heard and I want to tell everybody the things that I've seen and heard. And you begin to see the effect and the impact that that's having in other people's lives as you generously share and give of all that God's given you, joy will come into your heart as you begin to realize, hey, God wants to use me. There's nothing special about me. I'm really young or I'm really old or I'm single or I'm married or I've got one kid, five kids, 12 kids, whatever it is, God, uh, you know, like I, I've got a whole bunch of challenges. I'm working at the moment. I'm not working at the moment. Uh, I'm really healthy right now. I'm not really he- Whatever it is, God wants to use you in your ordinariness to do extraordinary things for Him because He's an extraordinary God. The last point, third point in cultivating a heart of joy is to rely on God's Word. Rely on God's Word. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, so if, Andrew, you want to jump up. Because at PCC, we bang on this drum, like I say, all the time, right? All the time. It's about God's Word. And as if, if joy is connected to the character and the work of God, then this is integral to cultivating a heart of joy. And this is what I love about the shepherd's story. They go, they see a baby, and this baby had not done anything yet other than maybe poop a little, cry a lot, you know, just doing baby stuff, right? I mean, it's this newborn baby. 
He's not probably not even smiling. If it is, it's probably because he's got wind. I don't know. And yet, they were able to go and declare to everyone the things that they'd seen and heard. Why? Why? Well, the text tells us it's because of what the word of the Lord had said to them. See, it wasn't about anything that this baby was doing right now. It's not even anything that this baby was going to do for the next 30-something years. But in that space of going, we've experienced something, we've seen something, and there's not going to be really anything to report for 30-something years. But we're confident, we're joyful, we're praising, and we're proclaiming. Why? Because it was the Word of God. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The Lord has told us about. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. That's what they were reporting, what the word had said. Not, wow, you should see this baby, man. It's got like six legs and 12 arms and he's got muscles like you wouldn't believe, man. This baby is going to kick Rome's butt. No! It was what they had been told. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were relying on the Word of God. God, we don't, we don't understand this. We don't get this, but we know you're at work. Why do we know you're at work? Because you've told us you're at work. That's it. And again, we know from the gospel accounts, because we're talking about humans, right? There were times when they're scratching their head going, God, you said this, we're seeing this, we don't know what's going on here. This Jesus guy, we, we don't know what he's doing here. He's not coming on a horse, he's coming on a donkey. Like, where's the sword? Where's the army? What's going on here? But they kept trusting in God's word, his promises. He will be faithful and he will do it. We might not get it, but we know who God is. And so that's why joy can come in the midst of your present circumstance, whatever it is, in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of you going, God, why aren't you healing me? God, why aren't you, do- why am I waiting again and again and again? Well, God, I've been waiting so long. In all of that, you can know joy because of what God has said in His Word because of who He has shown Himself to be. Faithful, loving, generous, kind, great, mighty, powerful. He's our awesome Father. And He has moved in such a dramatic, spectacular way on that first Christmas morning. When out of all the things He could have sent us, He sent us Himself as a baby. Mind-blowing. We know it's true because we would never have come up with a plan like that. But God did. That is where our joy comes from. So this Christmas, two weeks out, one more candle to go. I pray that our hearts will be gripped by the joy candle, by the shepherd's candle. In the midst of the mess that we're living in, in a broken world, full of darkness still. We can rejoice because the light of the world has come. And the darkness hasn't been able to overcome it or overpower it. And John, in the whole gospel, Jesus goes on to say that he has overcome the darkness. And his light still shines into our hearts today. And as you 
continue to remember that your night won't last as you continue to recognize God's work in the world, in your life, in extraordinary ways, in ordinary ways, and you hold on to that hope and rely on His Word, you will find that joy will begin to come into your heart. And I pray this Christmas, no matter what family dramas you experience, because we all do, no matter how much you overeat and how terrible you feel the next day, no matter what difficulties you experience along the way, that your hearts, our hearts, would be characterized by this disposition of delight, of wonder, of joy, of pleasure, of happiness, because it's anchored in our God and His Word and His Savior that's come into the world this Christmas. Why don't you bow your head? Why don't you close your eyes and just take a moment to reflect? And maybe you want to take this opportunity to just thank God yourself for something good that you've experienced of God today, this morning, on your way to church, or maybe something that God has said or is doing in your heart right now in this service to remind yourself that He is for you as we heard, that He has won the victory, that He is the lion that has conquered and triumphed and He wants you to know His victory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.